Hey, good morning. All right, so good to see you all. Like Jeff said, I am Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, thanks for being here this morning. And, and greetings to you at home watching us. Uh, we love you. And uh, it's good to be God's family together. Uh, this is the first week in our series called Women of Faith. And I'm really excited about it. This summer, we get to hear different voices from our RHV preaching team. Tell us about women in the Bible. And this series is going to be far more than a history lesson or like a school assignment. It won't be just about information. Because these women are like icons to us. And unless you came from like a Catholic or Eastern Orthodox church background, uh, you might not know much about what an icon in the Christian faith is. I did not know all that much about what an icon in the Christian faith was until I went to Turkey as part of my master's degree studies. When we, um, when we went there, I started learning a number of things that I didn't know. So here's what I'm going to tell you, just a little bit about what an icon is and what an icon is supposed to do. In Christian tradition, an icon is a painting or a mural of a respected follower of Jesus, or Jesus himself. And they're often put on little panels of wood, and I actually have one right here, it would look like this. We also got a slide of um, something that's similar to what I'm holding in my hand here. Um, and so while I was in Turkey, we actually went to the shop of a master icon maker, okay? And it was fascinating. It was really cool. And this one is, and this picture as well, from the Byzantine era, okay? So you'll see differences from um, different eras in, in church history. So you might notice that the artist in making an icon here is not trying to make this look like a real person exactly, right? Like... Um, a good painter can make things look closer to an actual person with their features and things. This is not the goal in icon making. It's on purpose because the artist doesn't want to make it look so much like a person that it would um, get into uh, the place in the Old Testament where it says, don't make a graven image um, that you could worship, right? So the idea is these are not idols, they're icons, right? There's a difference. You're not supposed to be worshiping these. These are for something else. So what the artist does want is to let this icon give us a window into God. You're supposed to be able to look at that icon and then be able uh, to see something about God when you look at the icon, okay? You might also notice that in uh, icons there is a special attention given to eyes a lot of the time. And that's because uh, it's, it's supposed to be an experience of the icon seeing us. We're, have, we're supposed to experience the icon looking at us. The icon is supposed to help reveal something to us about ourselves. It's meant to be a place where God actually has us experience being looked at. Okay? I think it's pretty cool. This series is going to give us a chance to look at female icons of our faith. So for much of our human history, and in so many cultures and societies, women have been treated as second class or worse, right? 
And there could be nothing further from the truth than that. Women are created in the very image of God. And we've done a series just recently where we talked so much about being created in the image and having our identity uh, in God. And so I love that we're doing this series together. We believe in the Vineyard Movement here at RHV. Women can lead. Women can teach us. Women have all kinds of things that the Lord wants to do through their lives for the benefit of the church. And so in this series, we're making a place each week to ask those two icon questions that I just uh, mentioned. When I look at this woman of the faith, what do I learn about God? What do I see about God? And when I look at this woman in her life, what does God want me to learn about myself? Okay, those are the two questions. Could I pray before we start? God, we thank you for this series. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for the great example that uh, the examples all over the place that have been given to us uh, through women who have followed you and said yes to you, God. And we ask, God, that today we would have the grace uh, to experience seeing something of you in today's person. And Lord, I ask that as we hear about today's person, that we'd also have the experience of being seen by you, that you tell us something about ourselves that you'd tell us what you have for us this morning. Amen? Thanks for praying with me. That's great. Today we're starting with one of the most important people of all time. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary is an incredible example for us as we seek to follow God and to invite Jesus into our lives. She's a person of humility and courage. And so if you hear nothing else today, I want you to know this. If you want to know what it looks like to say yes to God, you can look at the life of Mary and you can see it. In Mary, we see a person who says yes to God, even though she doesn't know all it will mean for her. And as we look at Mary, God also invites us to say yes to God as well. So we're going to pick up Mary's story in the Gospel of Luke. It's beginning in chapter 1. This is where God appears to her and, and interacts with her in an amazing way. Bible scholars say this about Mary at the time of this interaction with God. She was from a very small town. Her age would have been 14, 15, 16, right around in there. And as a young woman, she would have had very little social stature in her culture. Okay? So let's look at how God comes to her how God treats her with honor and chooses her. We're going to start in Luke 26. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now here the angel is using uh, terms of honor with Mary. And... I read that a term like uh, most favored would have been reserved for the elite of the elite in this culture. Isn't it interesting how God sees things so differently than we do? God sees things in us when we don't see anything. God sees things in us when people around us maybe don't see much, maybe don't see anything in us. God sees us so differently than the world does. 
Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And this terminology, it's obvious. Uh, it would be obvious to her that this is like God. This is like using Messiah kind of terminology, okay? The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the term overshadow in this, in this culture would be um, being upon you, with you, all around you. The power of God will overshadow you. So when the baby, so, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her own old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. What a crazy situation this is. If you've been in the church for a while, you've probably heard this story a lot. You hear it every Christmas or whatever, right? How crazy is this situation, though, really? What would you do if God came to you in a way like this? What if you were just you? I'm sure that Mary was just Mary. <laughs> what if God came to you like this? Here's what Mary does. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Mary says yes to God even though she does not know what this is going to mean for her life. This takes a ton of courage and humility. God chose well, right? This week I've been thinking a lot about times I have had courage and humility to say yes to God and times when I haven't had courage and humility. I haven't said yes. I was thinking about one of my favorite passages in Scripture, it's Romans 12, 1 and 2, and it says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. And this is the part that was sticking out to me. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. But have you ever wondered whether that's true in your life? Are you worried that maybe it's not true? Like, have you ever worried that if you gave your whole life to Jesus, that it might not be so great? Maybe you get the life that sucks. Everybody else got the good one. Or might it be too hard for you, even if it's real good? The question is, might God fail you? Might God fail us? 
Now, I was worried about that kind of thing at least a time or two or three or four, five in my life. And I was just thinking about how that was very notable, notable to me in college. Um, some of you know that my journey with God includes a few years in college where I decided I just did not want to follow religious rules anymore. I was a pastor's kid, and I, had, and I was just aware that, you know, people looked at me differently sometimes because I was a pastor's kid. I thought maybe I was less popular and people didn't invite me to things, stuff like that, um, partially because I was trying to follow Jesus. And so I decided that when I got to college, I was just going to party. And I specifically told God, I'm not going to do this anymore. I know there are real Christians, and I'm not going to say that I'm a Christian anymore. And God, I hope that you will find me somehow. I wondered as I partied whether I'd be more popular, whether I'd be more secure in myself. And so that's one way to worry about this stuff. There's also like the other side of that same coin. Maybe we worry that we will fail God. Have you ever worried that you might fail God? Psalm 32, 8 says, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. I love that passage. That's great. Have you ever worried it's not true? that you might actually end up missing God's call on your life and missing what God has for you, the best stuff for you, that your life might not be so great because God had something for you and you missed it and you blew it. Have you ever worried that? I was thinking about that too. If I'm being honest about how I felt in college, it wasn't that I didn't think that God was real. Uh, my fear, I think, was partially that I couldn't follow Jesus well enough to call myself a Christian. And the truth is that none of us can. I could not follow Jesus well enough in my own power to be called a Christian, okay? We need the Holy Spirit for that thing. As I look back, I probably had some other options. I probably could have asked God to do something, right, instead of just quitting. But I chose to quit, Okay? Even as I found myself with a renewed faith and a new church um, after college, I just wondered if I'd kind of blown it. I was midway through, I think it was 11 years that I worked at a hospital desk job that I didn't like. It started off as a desk job for like most of it, and then I started doing some other stuff. But pretty much the whole time I was frustrated and did not want to have that be my job, my career. I graduated from college at like very close to the top of my class. And I was at that desk shortly after college and I stayed at that desk for a number of years. I stayed at that desk as my friends who were super smart, but I was aware that I had graduated even in front of them. They had become teachers, they'd become attorneys, they'd become electrical engineers. I was still at that desk. And that kind of stuff in my life is why I'm so grateful for Mary's example to us. And maybe you have things in your life as you're thinking about maybe ways that you're wondering, um, you know, whether God's able, whether you're able, things like that. Maybe something in Mary's life uh, can be helpful to you today. I think it will be. So when Mary said yes to God, she was saying yes to God's plan 
for everyone to bring hope, healing, and eternal life to the world. Mary's yes was the first yes in some ways. She says yes in both a spiritual way to God and also in a very literal physical way. She says yes to receiving Jesus, does she not? So her yes makes a space for God to come to us in Jesus. And her yes makes a space for us to say yes to God and receive Jesus. Now, Mary's yes is not easy and it is not cheap. It costs her. Mary's yes to God means she's willing to let God turn her life upside down. She is never going to be the same after she says yes to, to God. And so for the rest of our time today, I'm going to highlight three ways that God turns Mary's life upside down when she says yes. And I've got a visual to help us today. Okay? If this is Mary's life when God shows up and the angel Gabriel comes to her, her yes is going to allow God to take her life and turn it upside down, right? And what ends up happening when our lives get turned upside down is things fall out, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what are these three things that have fallen out that God receives from Mary as she allows God to turn her life upside down. Don't get too freaked out. God's going to give Mary things back, okay? All right? So, I'm going to pull these out, and we're going to go through them. When Mary says yes to God, the first thing that God receives is this. This says, my plan. Okay? God receives Mary's plan for her life. Now, I'm not exactly sure what all of Mary's plans for her life would have been, but I am pretty sure that she did plan to marry Joseph. They were engaged at the time, right? But if you think about the cultural options available to, to her um, and what her life would have looked like, um, you could probably make up some things that she, that she might have been planning for her life. She had not planned on a number of things after this experience with God, though. Here are just a couple, a few. She had not planned before God showed up on being supernaturally pregnant. Right? It was not part of her plan for her life before God shows up. I'm sure she had not planned to have rumors and whispering uh, that she slept with somebody else when she hadn't. Her reputation is very, very different as a result of this, right? And she had not planned on leaving her country with her husband Joseph, with her child, and becoming an immigrant in Egypt to escape an oppressive king who wanted to kill her child. I'm sure she hadn't planned on that. So those are all things that happen when her plan goes away and is emptied out of her life. But God gives her something in return. This says... God's plan, okay? God gives Mary God's plan because she's got a willing heart. God's plan for Mary has a lot of honor in it, has eternal significance, 
has significance that is still being felt today and will be felt for all of eternity, right? God wanted to know Mary. I uh, wanted Mary to know this right at the beginning. And while she was still pregnant, God placed a prophetic song in her and brought it out of her own mouth. And it's recorded in Scripture. Now, I write songs, and so every once in a while, I have this experience if I'm writing about something uh, about life or about God, where I'm playing a song that I wrote, and I realize that the lyrics mean something to me. It's almost like my song is singing back to me. I've had that happen a couple few times. So maybe you've never had an experience like that, but this is like a really intense experience. It's a prophetic experience where Mary is singing things that she both probably knows and doesn't know uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit upon her. And it goes like this. Oh, how my, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And we do, right? For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He has shown mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble he has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. God's plan for Mary is not easy, but it's good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. It's perfect for her. And the same is true for us. God's plan for your life might not be easy, but it's good. It's pleasing. That's perfect. It's perfect for you. The second thing that God receives when Mary's life gets turned upside down is this. My heart is what this says, okay? This is the hardest one of the three for me, I think. In being willing to let God turn her life upside down, Mary is opening her heart to the vulnerability that comes from deep, deep love. Are you aware that loving deeply makes you vulnerable? There's going to be such joy in her life because of Jesus, and there's also going to be deep heartbreak. And God wants to, her to know that early in Jesus' life, too. God's very good to communicate. In Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to be dedicated at the temple. And this is what happens. This is Luke 2, 28. Uh, we'll go to 33. Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. This has got to be a joy-filled moment for Mary and Joseph, don't you think? What great things their child will do. They got the greatest child that ever was or will be. Right? Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. But hold on. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child 
is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now, for the rest of her life, God will be taking Mary's willing heart, her yes, and God will be giving her something in return. Want to guess? God's heart. Okay? God gives Mary the gift of loving God and being loved perfectly by God. How awesome. How could... Uh, being loved by Jesus as a child as he grows up not have been a huge blessing? How could that not touch you in the deepest places? But the part of the prophecy about her soul being pierced was also true. Jesus was going to allow himself to be crucified on a cross in order to bring forgiveness for everyone and an invitation into eternal life to all of us. And she was going to have to watch her son die on a cross right in front of her. How deep a heartbreak is that? I can't, you know, that's got to be in the worst of all time category, you know? And in some of those same ways, it is the same for us when we start to receive God's heart. Saying yes to receiving Jesus will bring us the greatest joys that we could ever experience. It also makes us vulnerable to heartbreak, doesn't it? Because our heart will begin to care and love like God's heart loves and cares. And God's heart extends itself and God's heart also breaks. And the third thing that God receives when Mary's life is turned upside down is this. It says, my family. Okay? Mary's family life was radically changed by having Jesus. She and Joseph had to figure out how to raise a son who was also fully God. How do you do that? That is a tall order. And in the Bible, we read about a number of things. I love how awesome and honest the Bible is about these things, okay? There's some family friction that happens. We see a couple of these things in Scripture. So at one point, the family is going to Jerusalem for an annual celebration, and they can't find their son Jesus. Turns out he has stayed back at the temple, and he's talking with the Jewish leaders, and they find him, and he says, well, I'm in my father's house. Where else would I be? Parent that. <laughs> I do not know how you do that. Another time, this is later in Jesus' life after he's begun, begun his ministry, uh, Jesus is preaching and ministering, and his family comes in the hopes to bring him home. Now, they either think that he's not right in the head, that is quite possible. It's, it's also possible that um, being the oldest son, he's got some responsibilities that they want him to take care of. We got some family stuff, and what are you out doing this for? That's another possibility. 
In Matthew 12, 48 through 50, this is what Jesus says when he's told that his family is there and they want to take him home. Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and he said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That is intense. That probably hurts a little bit to hear if you're Jesus' family, maybe. But one of Jesus' main purposes is to make a way to invite everyone into the family of God. He's not going home. And I'm sure that tested Mary's definition of family, her expectations. But God's will for Mary was to be part of building something larger than just their nuclear family. She had a call to help build God's family here on this earth. And we read in the book of Acts early on, if you look forward from these, um, that Mary is there at the beginning of Acts. Jesus has already risen from the dead and he's returned to heaven and God has given Mary his family. God's family. She's instrumental in the beginnings of the church. How awesome. And it's the same for us. When we say yes to God, he turns our lives upside down, and we have to give up control of our family. When we follow Jesus first, it can cause some friction in our family relationships. Have you ever had friction in your family relationships because you're having a sense that God's asking you to do something and somebody else in your family doesn't get it or doesn't want you to do it? Have you ever been in a place where some, somebody else in your family is saying, I think that God wants me to do this, and you do not like it? You have better, different plans for them, better plans for them. And I'm not talking about stuff where we're seriously like confused about what we're doing, right? But I do think that God speaks to us and God speaks to those around us in our family. And it's not always the same plan that we would have for each other, is it? Because God's plan is different a lot of the time. When we follow Jesus first, there's not only just friction in our family sometimes. Um, God will also expand our idea and our experience of family, and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You might get to love someone who is not blood-related to you like their family. They will be your family. Have you experienced that here yet? I hope you do if you have not yet. I have experienced that here. You might have to love somebody not related to you by blood like their family because they are your family. Have you experienced that around here? I've experienced that around here. I might be your half too. <laughs> it's important to know that God does not force Mary. This is only possible with Mary's yes. When the angel of the Lord comes to Mary, she didn't have any time to check with her fiancé Joseph. She didn't have time to check with her family. She didn't check with her friends. How many of us would say, could I have a few days? She did not have any of these options, right? This was her choice, and it wasn't anyone else's. 
This was between her and God. And she says, yes. She's worthy of great honor. And it's the same for us. Your yes to God matters. And I also want to say, your no to God matters too. I have a deep respect for us when we're in a place where we're aware that like, God, you're asking for this in my life, and I am saying, no, I do not want to do this. I respect that a lot more than just ignoring the whole thing. Because God wants your yes to be a yes, right? God's got to respect your no if God's going to respect your yes. God comes to us all the time. God is here. God is here today. I felt the Lord's presence as we worship together today. And I do want to say that it's totally possible to come here every single week and to give God a no, either by deciding not to think about it or being in a place of resistance, you know, not having courage or not having humility. It's totally possible to come here every single week and be very, uh, very unchanged. You'll be loved by people, for sure, I guarantee but you might not be changed. God wants our yes so that he can change us and give us what he has for us. That can happen in one week. That can happen in one moment. I always love when we get together because those moments are available to us so consistently here. God has done this kind of stuff for me through the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit working in my life. God did come to me near the end of college. I had the opportunity to say yes. And he's caused even my failings and the things that I wondered about uh, to work together for good, just like that Romans passage says. And when I was stuck at that hospital job for years and I didn't see any way to get into ministry because my heart was getting drawn more and more and more to that, um, it turned out that God was there too. God made a way, he gave me direction, he did some miraculous things, happy to tell you more about that if you'd like to have a coffee. But God made a way for me, because I'm here. God's plan, God's heart, God's family have been such gifts to me, some of the greatest gifts that I have ever received, that I ever could receive. So whether these things are full of joy or full of difficulty, they're all the same thing. They're all expressions of God's love. God only acts in love towards us. And so how do you get the awesome life that God has for you? How do you avoid missing God's will for your life? You trust in God's love and you say yes to God over and over and over again. And what happens when you say yes to God? Same thing as happened to Mary. Your life is probably going to get turned upside down. Your plans, your heart, your family. But in return, you're going to get God's. You're going to get God's plan. You're going to get God's heart. And you're going to get God's family. You'll receive a life that is good and pleasing and perfect. Perfect for you. It's going to look different for me than you, but it's going to be good, it's going to be pleasing, and it's going to be perfect for you. 
And so we always end our services with an opportunity to respond to God, and I think there's a place to do that today. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you're able. And so we're going to have an opportunity to, to sing to God together, selected a song that has to do with giving our yes. Uh, we also are going to have an opportunity to receive prayer because that's a family thing to do. Um, if we've got prayer people, people who are willing to pray, could you make your way to the, to the front uh, to make yourself available? I'm going to leave you with three tips you can take into your week. It might go farther than your week. I would hope it would go farther than your week. The first thing is to read. I'm going to invite you to read Luke 1, 26 through 38. That's the section where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and she ends up saying, yes, okay? Reread that this week. See what God says to you. And then the pray. Praying is basically just a conversation with God, okay? So in a conversation with God, be aware that God is present to you, is always asking for your yes, and then say, yes, God, I want what you have for me. I want your will for my life. Simple prayer. It's a big deal, though, right? And then the do is to allow Jesus to turn your life upside down. Expect it. And then expect God to fill your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Expect God to turn your life upside down in some way. And then be aware that he wants to fill your life. Give Jesus your plan, even if you don't know what it will mean. Give Jesus your family. Give him control. See what God is saying to you about your family. You know, parents, it is so hard to be a parent. You need God's help. And you also need him uh, to help you let go of things when you've got a plan that isn't in line with what God might be doing. Or maybe it's not your timing, right? It's super hard stuff. We need the Holy Spirit for this. And I'm just also thinking about family in the context of church family. I'm so glad to see people coming back into the room. It's so good to see you. I'm still seeing new faces. Aren't we missing some faces from people still? We are God's family. So if you haven't seen somebody's face yet and you miss them, reach out this week. I miss you at home. I miss you at home. Let me know if there's a way I can pray for you. Let us know on a connection card if there's a way that we can pray for you. Don't leave it just up to the staff. Call somebody. Call somebody's this week. Give them a text. Say, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Okay? Okay? Pinky swear? Can you do it? <laughs> Give Jesus your heart. Allow God to heal your heart where you are broken from what life has done to you. And then allow God to break your heart with the ways that he loves and cares for this world. And then let God heal your heart again because this world breaks our heart. And then let God break your heart again. And then let God heal your heart again. That's how it goes in my life. Can I pray for us? I'm going to invite you to think about your life as maybe just like a mason jar like this, if you were going to like pick.
picture yourself holding it here. Um, and as I pray, I'm going to invite you to just think about um, even, maybe even with your hand going, God, I just invite you to turn my life upside down. And then just wait on the Lord, turn it back up and then say, God, would you fill my life with what you have for me? I believe that God's going to speak to some of us. And I believe that God is going to honor these prayers, even if we don't know what it means, even if we don't see something happen right away. God is going to honor these prayers today, okay? So God, we come together as your people. God, if, if any of us haven't had an opportunity, haven't been aware, or just have said no up to this point, and today is the day to say yes to you for the first time, I just know that all of heaven rejoices at this. Just like all of heaven rejoiced when Mary said yes. Oh, look it. There's an opportunity. New things are going to happen. The kingdom's going to come. God, would you give us the grace and the strength? Would you give us the courage? Would you give us the humility to let you upend and turn our lives upside down? And would you be with us as things fall out? Our plans, our family, our heart. And God, as, as you turn our lives back upright, we ask, Holy Spirit, you would come and you would fill our lives with your plan, with your heart, and with your family. Come, Lord. Speak to your people. Encourage your people. is a great place to just be with the Lord and say yes to the Lord. The worship team is going to lead us. These prayer people are awesome and are trained and would be happy to pray for you and God meets us in that place. And here we believe about, we believe that God does healing, does physical healing, does emotional healing, provides jobs, cares about what's going on in your life. And it makes a difference when we pray together. Okay? So do come forward uh, as, you know, and in this song and have, uh, have one of these people pray for you. They'll do an awesome job, okay? I love you, friends. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being church family with me. Let's worship God together. Let's give him our yes with the grace that he gives us.